You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey, welcome everybody to episode 192 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, where we are hosted by the beautiful, sexy Pimp Cron, and we discuss mm, maybe some Warhammer. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, as I said, this is episode 192, and we are brought to you today by GameMat.eu for pre-painted terrain and neoprene mats and all that fantastic stuff. So go check them out. They're very nice people. Very pleasant. And they smell good, actually. Or that's what I've been told. I've never met them in person, but I, I just... Have you ever read someone's email, and you kind of get that idea, like, hmm, I think he smells good. <laughs> no, they didn't get rid of me for... Uh, suggesting last episode that you could beat someone to death with their uh, heavy resin. And do you know who else supports this podcast? Do you know? I've never mentioned them before. They're the beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. Go check us out at patreon.com slash pimpcron. And do you know? Wait a second. Who's this? We have a new Patreon patron. <laughs> He's so sweet. He's sweet. He's cute. <laughs> we have a threesome with him. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Chris and he's a funky warrior. Thank you so much, Chris, for supporting the show, keeping us on the air, and keeping almost the full 200 episodes of our show on the air for everybody to listen to time and time again, because I try my hardest to make them timeless. So what are we talking about tonight, or today, whenever you're listening to this? We have a listener, Andrew... Not the same Andrew that's in the Tesseract mailbox, but another listener, and we discuss his wish listing for 10th edition. Now, the reason why <laughs> I had to use it this week for sure, because we recorded it a week or two ago, is because I was like, ah, I'll just leave it in the bank, and you know, in a week or so, a couple weeks, I'll I'll put it as the main topic. But um they actually have, like, weirdly enough, a week after we record, GW started to enact some of the things that him and I privately talked about in our recording. So I don't want it to sound like uh, that we are wishlisting things that they're already doing. It's actually wishlisting things prior to them doing it, which we had no clue. He messaged me. He's like, you know that the points from now on are going to be free, etc., etc." I'm like, what? So... Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty neat, and this is not the first time that some sort of weird synchronicity between me and GW has happened. Um, like I said before, I made my own uh, Gene Stealer Cult Codex before that was a thing, and uh, man, it had so much stuff like deep striking units, and I called them tunneling, and you could deploy ahead of time, and I even had bikers, which at the time, you know, they've got the Adeline Jackals now, but at the time, nobody had bikers except for Space Marines and Cast Space Marines and Orcs. Um, because even the Imperial Guard, you know, they had their Rough Riders or whatever, but they're not motorcycles. So I actually bought third-party biker gang motorcyclists, and I made a unit of motorcyclists for the Gene Stealer cults. And then when they finally do release the Codex, oh, they do have motorcyclists, and you can deep strike. And, oh, you can... Like, it was actually very weird and uncanny. Um, I never posted my rules publicly, so I'm certain that it was not them taking my ideas, but... Just wanted to say that out loud. That's kind of weird. So this is another one of those. I have a great talk with Andrew, and uh, he's very insightful, and I agree with almost everything he said. So what else are we covering? Well, it's the Want That or Want That Not. We have the new Ash Waste Necromunda set. 
and whether or not we want that. I know there's been a lot of talk about the price point on that being $300, so we'll see where it stacks up on my account, whether or not I want that. And we also have yet another Andrew. Why are we plagued with so many Andrews? Uh, this episode, we have a rebuttal and Andrew, multi-shorehammer champion of the Highlander, he is trying to talk smack to me. So, you know what? I put him in his place. That's right. No. Uh, well, kinda. I'll, I'll let you be the judge of that. What else? Well, I've been working a lot on Brutal Space. I'm really enjoying fleshing out all these factions. I'm really, really enjoying it. And when I get the lore and the factions and everything uh, figured out, like I did for Brutality, it's going to have the equivalent amount of lore as Brutality. I mean, it's got a it's got a well-determined backdrop for it. And I love how major players in the different story um, have affected other major players. Like, you know, their aggressiveness might have impacted somebody, but then when they retreated and withdrew, then it allowed other people that normally wouldn't have um, succeeded or prospered to prosper, etc. So, and I also like about the brutal space is that I hate when games have a good guy and a bad guy. I hate it. Um, you know, you can't really say Necrons are bad guys. I mean, they are, but they're not like evil for evil's sake, right? Same thing with orcs, whatever. But I always feel like the chaos versus Imperium thing is just good versus evil. And that always drives me nuts. So I have all of my factions in various shades of gray. Some of them are a little whiter, some of them are a little darker gray, but they basically are shades of gray, and you can definitely see where each one of them are at least coming from. Even if you don't agree with their methods or their theology or whatever, you can at least see where they're coming from, and you can see why they do what they do. And they're all very different, they're named very different, their social structure, their fleet makeup, all of that is very, very different, and I'm getting super excited about it, so... Um, probably when I get it all fleshed out fully, I'll probably read a little bit of it on the, on the podcast, like I used to do with some of the brutality stuff. And, um, it's just, it's pretty exciting. So in addition to that, I'm still revising my short stories. I'm almost done. And then I'll order some copies for some editors and they will look it over and all that. But, um, I've been very pleasantly surprised. It's been, you know, I've been writing these for about a year and a half now. And these stories, I'm reading them with fresh eyes. You know, you don't have quite as much bias if you take a year off of something because you feel like, you know, you don't really remember exactly what happens in the story. You know the gist of it, but you actually have to read each word because you really don't know exactly where the sentence is taking you. And that is really cool because I get to kind of see it as the reader would see it. And that's really exciting for me. So that is what I've been up to. I'm also on the back burner, on the side burner, I'm working on the career supplement for Brutality, which is really fun. Our, um, our local store is doing a, a store campaign. I've already mentioned it before. I won't go into it, but we're playtesting all the stuff for the, um, the careers supplement. So that's pretty cool. All the different missions and the career options and all that. So what else have I been up to? Well, I played, I finally, after three weeks of trying to connect with this guy in our club, to get our campaign gain for this month in. He finally was able to get off work in time, and we got it done, and it was a spectacular game of brutality. Now, <laughs> remember I mentioned when our my friend Kojo came down that the score, you know, we were like neck and neck score-wise, but on the tabletop he was brutalizing me. You know, it's like the score doesn't really reflect how the game went, and I had a more recent game similar to that too. Well, this... 
um, the score definitely does not reflect how the game went. It uh, he ended up beating me eight to two, which is nuts. That's you never see a six point spread in brutality ever. Like that's a that's a complete shutout. Um, it was very ex- extenuating circumstances, <laughs> and I had out of five of his characters, I had three of them down them down to one hit point. So I mean, I had and I only lost one model. So I had nearly I killed one of his people. He killed one of mine, and then I had all of his down to one hit point basically. But this particular mission, one of us is trying to get across the board and flee through this area and the other one's trying to stop them from fleeing. So the way the scoring works is I don't actually get kill points for killing models, but if that model did not end up in my deployment or end up off the board from exiting the board, then I get points for every character of his that did not score essentially. So if I can keep him out of my deployment zone and then also keep him from going off the board, I score points. He gets points, a little bit of points for being in my deployment zone and more points for getting him off the board. Well, a bunch of things conspired to make this an extremely interesting game. First off, he insisted on being the runner. I was like, ah, I'll, I'll do whatever. He's a pretty new uh, player to this game. He's played a handful of games and obviously I'm pretty experienced. So I'm like, you do whatever you want. I know it may not be balanced or whatever, but that's fine. So he wanted to be the runner. And then I find out that his entire warband, he's like, oh, yeah, the stat I put into all my characters is movement. (laughs) I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I've got this dog. He moves 14 inches in the turn. And when you run, you roll a D10. Well, he's got the lightning fast ability. It's plus two to that. So he potentially could move 26 inches in one turn. I was like, oh, dear God. And also the rest of his faction is pretty darn fast as well. And that is like the best scenario. And then, oh, by the way. Between my game and his last game, he explored instead of resting, because you can rest and heal your injuries, or you can explore with your warband in between games. He explored, and he got um, he got to set up an ambush, which means he got six more inches to his deployment zone than normal on his next game. Well, it just so happened, this game where I'm trying to keep him away from my board edge, he gets to deploy six inches closer, and he's got a super fast team. So you can see where this was definitely not in my favor. But what's neat about it is that um, we were neck and neck in points. We were within just a few points of each other the whole game. It was like two to four the whole game until the very last turn. And that's stupid dog, okay? So the way it worked out, I had to give myself a legendary trait because we were a half point off our two lists because that could happen in the campaign. Um, I was six points for my whole warband and he was five and a half. So what I had to do was knock off one of my one-point models and then take a legendary trait, which is a half point. That's usually how you you make that work. Um, so I gave my uh, shooty guy, my sentry, a um, a specialist weapon, basically, where it gives him... He gets one rend or one AP to his weapon, and then once per game, his attacks just ignore saves. I just choose when it is, I declare it, and that whole turn, he ignores saves. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go up here, I'm going to get him out in the open, and I'm going to shoot that dog and hope to kill it or maim it. So I shot that dog, I did two wounds on it out of its three, and I did double agony on it. Which means that when they're in agony, they have to pass a willpower check every time they activate, or all they can do is move. They can't do anything in the combat phase. Can't shoot, charge, use powers, run, activate objectives, none of that, because they're in so much pain. So that dog survived the entire game with one hit point, and double agony. All he kept doing, unfortunately, the agony didn't stop him from moving his 14 inches, right? So I ended up having to 
put a considerable amount of my force to block him in this alley, and we just took turns assaulting this dog. <laughs> it was so funny because he kept critically saving. Like, his save was like a two or a three, and he'd roll a one, which saves two saves instead of one. It's like exploding saves. That's just a generic rule in brutality. And I thought it was so funny that my one group, my one guy runs up and charges him, and the dog saves everything and blinds him with the wound chart. Then my other guy charges from behind, and the dog saves everything and blinds him with the wound chart. So he's just going around biting people in their face and blinding them. And meanwhile, he is literally a cornered dog in this alleyway. And I was like, well, at least I can keep him out of it. Well, the last turn, he's able to break free of his agony and and basically climb up a building and run off the board. And if he had not, think about this for a second... I get two points if he doesn't score. He's got two points if he does score. So it was going to be four to six if I could keep him from scoring. Four to six points. He'd get six, I'd get four. I'd still lose, but it was a close game. But with him running off the board the last turn um, and his extreme movement, no other model would have been able to do that. He was able to move like 20 inches or something like that. Um, no other model could have done that except his stupid dog. And I told him like, dude, you need to make the dog the leader of this. He needs to get like some brain implant that makes him sentient and you need to level him up and just make him the leader. Cause he was the MVP of the whole game. He was cornered. He was assaulted. He was shot at. He was everything. And he just kept saving. It was fantastic. So even though I got my butt handed to me, I mean, not really just by points, by points, it was a, it was a blowout, but Anyway, it was a very fun game. So I think I've blabbed on long enough. Let's get on with the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, this is Tesseract mailbox. You know, remember a couple weeks ago, I think it was week before last, when a listener and multi-shorehammer champion, Andrew, wrote in and said that all of the new releases and the updates and the FAQs and the errata and all of that and the constant change in Games Workshop, which is something that slightly turns me off of it, is actually a good thing because he played so long. He started in, I think he said 95 or something, and um, he's been playing so long and he went through all the dark ages of where you'd be 10 years before getting a codex and all of that. So this guy, okay, I replied on the air and this mofo wants to start a war because he replied listen to this a- asshole right he <laughs> i'm just joking by the way he says thanks i just listened to your podcast you do personify the grumpy old man who hates change the only necron change was that they added the core keyword to basically every infantry unit and all destroyer rates and the canoptech reanimator thing so you can use the my will be done buff from lords overlords and use the necroman technomancer to bring back a single model in any unit, that's it. They revised the balance sheet because they messed up who received a buff in Imperial Guard and forgot that the Imperial Chaos Knights book hasn't come out yet and had removed their section from it too soon. Oh, this is in response to me making fun of the... They had an errata for the errata, which just shows the rapid-fire production of these FAQs and erratas where they don't even proofread their own errata. He also says, also, they added another whole thing that states which supplements are valid for match play. You can still use them for not match play, so it won't really change anything, but no Crusher Stampede for the three tournaments a year you go to. (laughs) Shut up, Andrew. (laughs) And did you or James pick up the Tempest of War cards? Okay, I'm going to be honest with you, Andrew. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
It replaces all the secondaries, blah, blah, blah. Just draw some cards for random mission. Random twist and three random secondaries each turn. That can be held onto or discarded for scoring later. I should... Oh, and that's uh, then the rest of that's a personal message. Sorry. Okay, so this guy wants to start a fight with me. He's calling me a grumpy old man that hates change. And while that's not entirely incorrect or inaccurate, I gotta tell you, I admitted that I was a late adopter to smartphones and Facebook and all of this nonsense, and I'm still not on Instagram, despite people begging me to be for some reason, and all of that nonsense, right? I was a late adopter to YouTube and blah, blah, blah. The problem is, is that there are a lot of people, and this is no accusation of anybody. I'm, this is not aimed towards you, Andrew, at all. I know you're a, a busy guy, but a lot of people don't seem to value their personal time, like their free time. And I'm talking about outside of, you know, parental duties and outside of work duties and outside of all your obligations. When you just have free time, many people are content to kind of piss it away. Like they will play video games for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm not talking an hour. I'm talking 10 hours. They will, you know, just watch Netflix, just turn on Netflix. And every night they come home from work and they just watch Netflix and or YouTube or, or whatever. And I'm not bashing those people. That's totally fine if that's what they want to do. But my personal time is extremely important to me. So anytime that you come up to me and you go, oh, I've got this new this new app that you need to do. Aha. I'm like, eh, no, that app is going to have to prove to me that it is deserving of my time. I'm not just going to go try some app willy-nilly. McStorman's been trying to get me on Instagram for years. Just James has been begging me to do Reddit for years. And I just, I can't see it worth my time. If that works for you, and that's how you entertain yourself, that's how you unwind, go on Facebook, watch Netflix, play a video game, that's totally cool. I am not hating on that at all. But, as I've mentioned before, I have this buildup of creative energy and it's become I can't say a burden but it's definitely a driving force of all of my material for brutality and Shorehammer and the podcast and all those things so when I go to bed at night and this is not a lie this is not an exaggeration or anything if I go to bed at night and I did not do a single thing towards one of my goals I didn't update something for Shorehammer I didn't work on the podcast I didn't um more often than not, it's I didn't work on brutality. I didn't work on um, brutal space. If I didn't do anything for any of those things, make a sketch for what hammer on YouTube. If I did nothing creatively, it actually does sit poorly on me. I really do feel like almost anxiety. And that keeps me luckily from wasting too much time on different apps and all of that. So yes, I am a very late adopter, but it's not because I'm a grumpy old man. It's because it has to prove that it's worth my time. And the same thing with Games Workshop. When they go, here's a codex. Look, it's a finished product. Buy this finished product. And as soon as I hand them the cash, they go, oh shit, never mind. Uh, no, no, actually these points are different. And this guy actually does not apply to this. And oh man, we forgot to give seven different units the core ability. And oh wait, you mean our troops aren't core Harlequins? Oh man, let's, let's change that. And uh, I'm like, dude, get your shit together 
and then release the damn book. Like, I do not have... I understand balancing things and releasing rules because the meta changes over time and maybe the older books need a little bit of a buff or whatever. If we're talking about doing that once or twice a year and just tweaking some rules, I guess I'm fine with that. But it is an increased level of sloppiness. I'm not lying to you. Me and just James were discussing it. The Eldar Codex has a bajillion uh, typos and issues... I mean, there's there's more than one. There's a handful of different entries in the Harlequins and the Eldar Codex, the data slates, where all of the stats are, like, tabbed one side over. They're not under, like, you know, w the W for wounds, and it's got a number under it. No, that number is, like, under it and beside it. Like, it's like the accidentally hit tab. But it's not one data sheet. There's, like, off the top of my head, I think there's, like, three or four data sheets where all the numbers are skewed over one one tab mark. And I'm like, how did this pass quality control? Like, how did it? And I also found many, uh, I don't remember that alignment issue being in my Gene Slayer Cult book, but there was multiple unit rule typos, where it would be like, I don't know, instead of from, it's trum, or something like that. Like, just completely... I'm like, dude, are you guys really cranking it out this fast that you can't afford an editor? And that is when I start losing patience with all this stuff and just start tuning it out. It's not because I hate change. It's not because all that. But GW is proving to me that their work that they're putting out is not worth my time to pay attention to. Especially when, and this is the classic case, of you issue an FAQ or an errata for all of your armies, and then immediately have to errata your errata. That is ridiculous. And I'm not hating on Games Workshop, but you need to get your shit together. For real. Like, you you need to get it together. And in the meantime, you're not getting my my time or my, my attention. Because I, I can't, I cannot be bothered with you fixing your corrections as you... Who is this, Bethesda? Is this, is Games Workshop now owned by Bethesda, where they just pump out the product and like, oh, we'll patch it later. We'll, we'll just patch it later. Like, that doesn't work so well when you have a physical copy of something. It just doesn't. I mean, Bethesda can physically give you a free update and it changes your game. Okay. But Games Workshop can't really do that in, a, in, in an easy way. So, that's all I'm saying, is that I greatly value my personal time. And... If they keep telling me, oh, it's this. No, no, wait, wait, it's this. No, no, I meant this. Oh, shit, no, I forgot this. Oh, wait a second, this. No, you know what? I'll wait until you get your stuff together, and then it's worth my time to hear the final product. Because that's ultimately, do we lose sight that, like, we're supposed to be buying a final product? Balance changes over time is fine. But when your book immediately has a bajillion typos and stuff in it. Like, you're not even trying. You you make it seem to me like it's a real money grab. And I know Games Workshop's always accused of that. I always try to give them kind of a benefit of a doubt, but when you're pumping out subpar stuff, that is a money grab. Like, it's just it just is. So, anyway, I'm not as grumpy of an old man as you think, Andrew. It's just that I value my time. And by the way, I'm not actually mad. I'm just messing with them. Want that, or want that not? Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today we are discussing 
the new Necromunda Ash Wastes box set. Now, this has been covered to death, I understand. People are gawking at the $300 price tag. No, I'm sorry, I should be more accurate. $299 price tag. Isn't that amazing how prices always go like that? They're just like one penny shy of the... I wonder why they do that. Hmm. I wonder what the outrage would be if it was just a straight 300. If GW was like, you know what? We want that extra dollar. I want the full 300. <laughs> anyway, if you're ignoring the price point of this, just looking at this set, if nobody told you what it was, number one, I don't play Necromunda. I don't plan to, but you know, there is a great skirmish game that I'm really into. What was that called again? Oh, Brutality Skirmish War Game. And I've made good use of Necromunda models in that. So this would be the reason why I would even cast a glance at this box set. So you get what appears to be a fold-out paper mat, which is just fantastic. That is high quality there. But the rest of it does actually seem really nice. You do get templates. Can you believe that you get a flame, a large blast, and small blast templates for this? That's crazy. I actually was unaware until this point that Necromunda still used templates, unless this is a new thing they're just now adding. But, um... What you end up getting is the rule book and the, the chits and the counters and the dice and the blah, blah, blah in the paper ground mat, the paper mat, which is all like la-di-da, right? But what you end up getting is a some new models. Now, you get the full Orlock box with the 10 people that you would normally get, but they've included two new vehicles. They are basically quads and they have someone on the back with a gun. It's a pretty cool Mad Max style look to it. Um, I really enjoy it. I love these new models. I really do. The Orlock gang is just totally fine. I've got a bunch of them. I actually use them for my guardsmen. And these are actually pretty neat. I could see these, you know, being like my proxies for Sentinels or something if I didn't already own like 14 Sentinels. But I really do like the idea. This dude's on like a dune buggy sort of four wheeler. And there's a guy standing on the back of it with a heavy bolter or whatever. They are pretty cool. They're definitely something that I would want. But what I think is really cool in this box set is these Flea Rider sort of, sort of people. I don't even know what they're called. Um, what the actual gang is called. Oh, they're called Ash Waste Nomads. Okay. But they've got uh, four Dustback Helamites, which these are like giant mites or Flea Riders. And man, I love them. To be honest, this may be my favorite faction in Necromunda that I've seen. These... Ash waste type people are really cool looking and the flea riders are just fantastic. They, they are really, really cool. I love when G GW finally steps out of their comfort zone and makes some things that are truly unique. You've never seen flea riders except for, I used to have some, some star Wars models that were fly, flea riders, but these are really cool. I could 100% see myself buying a box set of these guys for brutality and a box set of the flea riders. I absolutely could. Um, now, I don't know how much they are alone, but this is a huge pulling point for me. The Orlocks, eh, they're fine. The bike things are really cool, and this faction is fantastic. They've got a uh, little bit of a um, Tusken Raider look to them. They've got masks and all sorts of um, rags and things like that on them. They're very stealthy looking, but um, that's definitely one of the reasons why I might consider buying this box set. The next big elephant in the room is that the terrain here is unique. The terrain here looks fantastic, and the terrain here adds elevation to your Necromunda games or your, you know, far superior brutality games. And 
I love these. I truly do. They look like something that you could use for Star Wars Legion. They look like something that should, belongs on Tatooine. Now, I know Tatooine doesn't really have anything elevated, but there's tons of cross crosswalks between these elevated platforms and two buildings and things like that. They've got some barricades and whatnot. I, I absolutely love this terrain set. Now, would I actually go out and buy it? Uh, depends on what the price point is, because if you look over at Spiky Bits... I was looking at how much this set is actually valued at, according to them. And they were claiming that the terrain, based off of the gang stronghold, it's a similar amount of um uh a similar amount of terrain and sprues and all that is $120. And I'm like, uh, would I pay $120 for this? Honestly, I don't think I would. I think I'd probably go to you know another terrain company, I'd do a 3D printing or whatever, and get the same exact effect. I think they're a little off the rocker on this. Plus, it only comes with two buildings. That's that's also a little... Uh, I mean, I was buying the Rohan, the... Uh, no, the the fishing village from Lord of the Rings, and it was like 60 bucks for two buildings, and it might have been one building, and uh, a bunch of docks and stuff, and this is not that far different from it. Um, I think it was two buildings. I can't recall. But anyway, I am very much on the fence about this. I, I really do like it. I think it looks great, and I love elevation in games. The price point, if it's going to be 120 bucks, eh, I don't know if I'll actually do that. Shorehammer might buy a box or so if I can make a, a cool board out of it, but eh, I don't know. I'm really on the fence about that. So, Spiky Bits, according to them, they've ran the numbers, the estimates. It's supposedly an MSRP of $401 for this whole box set when you include the chits and the counters and the... Uh, rule book and the models and the terrain and all of that. If you include all of it, they've got like combat cards and stuff like that. Um, they say $400. So they're selling this for $300. Well, that sounds like it's, you know, a deal, I guess. Although this price point for me, it kind of has me out of it. Especially being that it's not two brand new factions. It's one brand new faction and then it's Orlocks with some bikes. It's kind of... Hmm. Anyway, ultimately... As tempting as this may be, it is a want that not for me. I could definitely see people buying it, and apparently it is a value. But there's no way I think I'm dropping $300 on this box set, especially if you don't play Necromunda. And I've got no use for the cards and the rule book and all of that stuff. So um, I know enough about Necromunda to know that it is way too long of a playing game. Um, brutality is, you know, a quarter of the time or less. So I'm not going to get into another skirmish game, but... These are cool looking models, and overall, if you're into that, then I could see you getting it. But not I, said the Pimpcron. Not I. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hello, everybody. This is Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today we have a special guest, which is one of our listeners, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. I'm happy to be talking with you. Um, if you guys recall, like a month or so ago, I had kind of put out a call with, hey, any any listener that feels like coming on the show and talking about stuff, you're welcome. And Andrew's the only one that's taking me up on that. <laughs> <laughs> I do know a lot of people, uh, they they feel awkward, like leaving voicemails or being on the air or whatever. So I'm happy you're here with us, though. Um, you had a ton of ideas for things you would like to be changed for 10th edition. So we figured... That would be really cool to discuss because God knows 10th edition's probably right around the corner as soon as they do the last codex. So um, 
if you want to take the reins on that, what was your first thing that you'd like to change about Warhammer? For actually, you know what? We should probably do a little intro of you, um, like how long you've been playing and things like that. Just just very briefly. Yeah, so I've been playing. Uh, so I've been collecting since seventh and playing since uh, the beginning of eighth edition. I uh, started off with Eldar, and you know I collect Necrons and uh, and Tau now. So you know Xeno stuff. Mm. Uh, yep. So no no Marines at all. So I have I'm like one of those super I guess heretical uh, Marine. Um, <laughs> what do they call it? Collectors. I kind of want to do like a you know like a like a female star days kind of thing eventually and I've, I've got a bunch of it like collected and built up but it's just like one of those far off projects for later well wow, you just pissed off so many people oh yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm right off the bat man i'm going right into it dude i don't even care <laughs> <laughs> well uh as we as we discussed off the air seventh edition you walked right into a kind of a nightmare did you like seventh i guess you probably did right so I mean, I like the models. Um, I think I only played like one game of uh, of seventh edition, and I didn't really understand it that well. Um, but I knew it was super complicated, and mm. so I don't know. Once, and I think like right when I started playing, it was like the transition to eighth, where they, where they were kind of revealing some more of the, you know, the core rules, and then they were going into the indexes and like simplifying everything, which mm-hmm. made it a ton more. It, I was just like, oh, I'll just wait, you know, because it's gonna be simpler later on. Yeah. And then we got the indexes and all that, which was, I think a lot of people probably agree with me. I loved the time when every army had their codex. I mean, more or less codex, their rules at the same time. And everything was kind of copacetic for a couple months before the first codex is dropped. It was kind of a, like a nice time in, in place, but I guess it's over now. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I definitely agree. Okay, so you had a bunch of ideas that you wanted to do for 10th edition. So do you want to start off with the first one? Yeah, yeah. So we'll just jump right in. Um, so I guess for 10th edition, it'd be really nice if they simplified the core rules, especially for terrain. Um, leaderships, uh, we can talk about that later, but I'd like to rework it. Um, but specifically, the some of the rules, keywords, like lookout sir, deep strike, you know, if, if something has the same mechanic, it, you know, as another faction, uh, I know for fluff reasons, they call it something else, you know, it's lookout sir, the bodyguard rule or whatever. But like, I mean, let's be honest, uh, let's just make it the same word. And then everybody's on the same page. You know, we everybody calls mm-hmm. deep strike, deep strike instead of, you know, whatever the heck it is for, you know, angels of Sangunius or wings of Sangunius or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, just call it the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then especially with the, the, the terrain rules, I like the um the change overall for ninth but um you know i I think that they they could still reduce some of those uh terrain categories down a little bit so they had more specific traits and you know even if it didn't all quite make sense you know with like you know weird exposed terrain with strange attributes or whatever as long as it was simpler i think everybody would just agree that it's a lot easier to learn you know three to five uh, terrain types and then that's it you know none of this like has this keyword but has these types of traits you know and these types of attributes so yeah i think you could pretty much lump most terrain things into let's say five or six categories and ruins are this they have these attributes period you know a um a forest has these attributes period and that's just you know i i guess they were trying to be customizable about stuff but really most things fall into the same couple categories yeah absolutely so. I think that would, um, and you know what you're basically saying with the um, 
the deep striking and all that is I don't know if you recall, but seventh edition and and previous to eighth, you know, we had the universal special rules. So, you know, like Furious Charge, when you charged, you got plus one strength. And any unit in throughout any of the armies, if they had Furious Charge, you knew exactly what that was. There was no such thing as like a special Furious Charge. No, it just was Furious Charge. Or um, I think there was uh, Move Through Cover or Stealth or any of those. It was just, you know, probably, I, I guess they had like 25 or maybe 30 universal special rules. But you knew exactly when someone said, I have a beast. Oh, well, back then, Beast meant you had the move through cover rule and you had this rule and that rule. Well, it was pretty standardized through the whole game. Um, so I guess they're trying to uh, I guess they're trying to be cutesy about it, given ninth edition or eighth edition. They started doing that. Yeah. Um, but you're right, because if you've got the, you know, whatever it's called, descent of angels rule or whatever, and I've got a similar rule, then it takes that much more ex- explanation for us to go, oh, that's the same thing. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you, you're going to explain, oh, I've got the Descent of Angels or whatever. And they're like, oh, what's that? And you say, oh, it's like Deep Strike. Like, why couldn't you just said, oh, I have Deep Strike? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. That, that Those old rules that, that, you're, that you're talking about, the uh, specialty ones, that sounds awesome, honestly. Like, I, I kind of wish that that's, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, simpli- simplify the, the, the rules like that with specific keywords and it'd make everything a lot easier. Well, um, like I've said before on the podcast, um, in certain ways they made things simpler, but in then other ways they ultimately made it much more complicated because the core rules were, you know, four times as big as what they are now. But then your codex, some of those old codexes, like in third edition, were like 30 pages. They were super because it was like, look, these are your stats, and then this unit has this keyword, this keyword, and this keyword, these universal special traits. They might have Furious Charge and, you know, Sudden Death or whatever, and you knew exactly what that was. You didn't need paragraphs to figure out what it was. So it's it's weird that they've kind of front-loaded all of the heavy lifting onto the codexes themselves, but the basic rules are actually pretty simple. Yeah. So, it almost seems counterintuitive, though, like especially if, you know, GW is trying to... Um, I mean, I don't know if that's like their objective or, or, or not, but, you know, if you want people to buy and play multiple codexes, you'd think that you would be, it'd be better to make the core rules more complicated, but then make it easier for one person to transition from one faction to another, you know, because mm-hmm. I like, I like Necrons, I like Tau, I like uh, Eldar or whatever, but like, you know, Eldar just came out with their new codex and uh, I'm honestly just not going to buy it because I don't want to have to learn another <laughs> complicated rule set. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. you. You sound like you're you're a little bit like me in the the uh, I don't know apathy category. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> well, uh, you also what, what's your second point that you wanted to make? Okay, uh, so I guess with the exception of obvious mistakes, you know, um, I know troops from Harlequins didn't get core. Uh, There's some keywords missing from Necrons um, when they first came out with like the track Praetorians, I think it was, but mm-hmm. I don't think the Codex rules and the data sheet rules uh, should be adjusted in any way um, throughout that edition, especially during like rules or uh, balancing updates, uh, things like that. So, you know, when you learn a codex, uh, you don't have to relearn it because of, um, you know, some type of balance change or FAQ or et cetera. I kind of like what it would, I would prefer to have all of those core, all those keywords uh, remain the same, uh, I guess, for simplicity and the, you know, ease of learning. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Just like the first thing, I, I also agree with you there. Um, just I think the theme here is just a little simpler. It's it's very convoluted. And uh, I had the one listener this week and another Andrew. Um, <laughs> he was giving me crap about um, mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, not wanting to learn the FAQs or whatever. And he's got a point, of course. But on the other hand, it's like if I, I told you. Um, that we were going to schedule this talk. And I was like, oh, let's do it at three o'clock. Oh, wait, 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 3.15. Oh, wait a second, six o'clock. No, never mind, one o'clock. Okay, how about five o'clock? You'd eventually be, be like, bro, just leave me alone until you have your, <laughs> your stuff sorted. Like, just just tell me a time and that's that, you know? And it's the same way I feel like with uh, with Games Workshop. It's like, oh, you know, these are the core. Oh, wait, no, no, they're not. Oh, yes, some of these are. Okay, well, now they all get plus one save. Like, it's just... And I, I'm sure you and I both understand where they're coming from. They're trying to make it better and all that, but it's like, I don't know. I don't think they do anything in small doses, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, I think I just finished that particular episode um, like yesterday or something. And I was like the whole time, I was just like, yeah, dude, for sure. Like, I don't want to learn that crap. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's super frustrating for me. And then, you know, I, it's kind of funny that you were bringing that up. Um, anyway, I, as I was listening you know, you're complaining about how, you know, they made all these huge updates in the new, you know, FAQ data slate or whatever. And I was thinking like, man, but, and then they also just came out with a, like a redaction for the redaction. And then like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, uh, dude, what a mess. It's so frustrating. Yeah. It's just, and you know, you could say whether they do this intentionally. I mean, it does seem like every codex is definitely much more powerful than the previous. And then they kind of, they give it like a month to sell lots of models and then they kind of tone it back. So, I mean, once again, like I said before, if that's what they have to do to keep the game alive and to keep selling stuff, then whatever, I guess. I'm just not, not that interested in participating. Yeah, no, I, I am right there with you, especially right now. I feel like, um, I guess the, we'll get into it later. I guess I think I've got one of the points in here about the way that they balance the game. But uh, rules adjustments uh, to, as a form of balance just makes the game so much more complicated. And you know, if 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 they made these adjustments, even if it was in like the building uh, phase of your list or whatever, you know, like with points reductions, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes the game a lot easier to learn. You know, it's, instead of oh now this person or this this data slate or um, sheet has you know different rules or keywords or my stratagem changes or whatever now it's like oh i can take you know one less unit of marines or you know whatever it is which is a lot simpler than trying to explain to somebody in game uh that this rule just changed you know yeah i i completely agree with you and if you don't want the codexes to change and you don't want the data sheets to change i'm guessing you're suggesting that the only way that they tweak anything is just through the points cost yeah, absolutely. I I think um, any 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 one of these situations. Look at the Harlequin. I don't know if you even read the the new data slate thing that I did they not. came out. With it. <laughs> uh, they they nerfed uh, Harlequins, but I think that that was like the only appropriate change out of the the entire lot of changes. Honestly, like they they saw a problem and then they reduced its its points cost. I mean, they've got funky rules already and they're like way complicated. But what a simple way of uh, addressing the problems. I I guess. Before um, you know, we started talking. I just threw, uh, like looked up like last weekend's um, you know like GT uh, results or whatever, just just to see how well it was doing. And it seemed like they were they were toned back significantly in uh, I guess a healthy way. So I don't know something like that seems like the appropriate way of doing it. And 
uh, not by, you know, introducing an entire, entire like page of new rules for, you know, Marines and, uh, uh, Astro Militarum like they did, you know, which makes it, you know, like I don't even want to play Astro Militarum now against them. Like if I were to go to a tournament, because now they have to explain like all these new, mm-hmm. uh, rules that I'm not familiar with or whatever. So, yeah, the, you actually touch on a good point too. There is like every tournament, if you're not up, if you're going to a tournament and you're not up on the most accurate up-to-date rules you are going to have to waste time during your game with them explaining to you oh well it says this in my book but it actually is this now and it's just a lot of confusion yeah absolutely so um well what was your third thing that you wanted to do for 10th edition yeah so if there if there are no changes so this is assuming the uh you know the the first couple points we've talked about would go through if there's no changes to the data sheet rules um, I'd like to see a release of the the um, kind of the data sheet cards. I, I think it's data sheet. I think I hope I'm saying these these terms correctly. The data sheet They're cards. They're war like scrolls. War scroll. Yeah, like the war yeah. scrolls, like they have in Age of Sigmar. Um, I've only played a couple games of of Age of Sigmar. I have like a a Zinch army that I I you know smaller points or whatever. Anyway, those things are awesome, um, mm-hmm. and I think everybody would agree I, that like plays Warhammer. If I had a you know a little war scroll sheet for you know every little you know data sheet or model i had in my army um you know i'd buy buy those in a heartbeat having you know and if my opponent had like let's say i'm at a tournament or something my opponent says oh well you know what what's the the rules for that particular model either i have to show them my book or you know battle scribe or something like that to show them my phone so they can read through it whereas this i'd just be like oh here you go man here's every single rule that has to do with that particular model and um, I don't know. I think that'd be a lot easier. Uh, make the game flow about a lot quicker. Um, I think for I've tried teaching the game to you know newer players before, and I think one of the biggest complaints I've heard is I use Battlescribe a lot. Uh, it's just simpler for me to you know instead of writing handwriting all the lists or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, you know if they don't like to have to scroll you know between detachments or you know have to search around for a specific unit. Um, I think it's a lot easier to flip through, you know, cards, especially if they had like a picture or whatever. Anyway, the the long and short is those things are awesome, and I'd love to see them in tenth. Yeah, I agree with you there, and um, I do use the cards in Age of Sigmar uh, whenever I have the cards for that army. But it is really nice because a lot of times when you're when you're taking a list, unless you're playing a really big game, you may only have like six different types of units, so you just have six cards. You don't have to keep flipping through the book or anything like that, and they are pretty handy. So um, it's not like you have a whole deck of cards in front of you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially if you have that, you know, that more tribal type of list where you've got, you know, you're focused on one specific playstyle. Yeah, you're probably only bringing five to seven different um, different units, so it's not like you're lugging around a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and a lot of times, like your battle line and things, you might be taking two of the same unit. Well, it's just still just one card, so it's it is. There's definitely is some utility there. Um, and I don't I don't really know why they've never done that with 40k. To be honest, I think they don't mess with the rules in Age of Sigmar as much as they do for 40k. So that's probably the reason. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, I mean, the FAQ stuff. I don't recall them messing with the way rules are worded or their effect or whatever as much in age of sigmar so um speaking of data sheet cards uh what yeah. else did you have a uh, point number f- yeah so uh point number four um so we're kind of already talking about player aids like the data sheet cards in age of sigmar or war scroll cards um i'd like to see uh 
more kits or player aids available things like um you know if i go to buy the you know core rulebook why don't they make like a kit that comes with core rulebook deployment markers different overlays that i can you know use to designate deployment zones enemy field edges objective markers um yeah you know things like that or even like you know, again, if they went back and they simplified those uh, those terrain features, you know, why not make like little flags or something like that? It's like, you know, this is a ruin, this is whatever, and they have these different attributes. Like, give people, uh, make the game flow a lot easier, or have visual aids, especially for newer players. I think things like that really help. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that, um, uh, like if they they had a whole kit for a hundred bucks with the Necron symbol on it, you'd buy it in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, if if, if it had, uh, you know, if I had little objective markers in a in a kit, and it, you know, just like all Necron symbols for sure, Tau, I'd buy it anyway. You know, whatever. Like, I mean, nothing in this hobby is like you know specifically cheap or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think everybody I've ever played with anyway, like, uh. You know, I feel like we're always like talking or chatting throughout the game, like, oh, I wish they would do this or I wish they'd do that. And I feel like this is one that's like huge. Like everybody would pay an extra whatever, um, you know, 20 bucks for some objective markers that show the entire radius of the objective area. Kind of like, the, you know, like the ITC ones or, yeah. you know, things like that. Like those are awesome. I feel like, you know, g- going into the beginning of eighth, I just used, you know, like coins like they had or whatever. And then uh, as I got, you know, more into the, you know, into competitive gaming, uh, in 40 K bought those and it's like seriously a game changer. I felt like it, re- it really makes the game a lot easier. You're, you're doing less, uh, you know, measurements, things like that. So more, mm-hmm. uh, player aids in 10th. Yeah. Out of your, out of your 10 point list for 10th edition, which is so fitting to begin with, um, number four, this one really had me excited because it really does not make sense that there's so many third party companies that are capitalizing on games workshop by doing like the you know the the um measurement that's the ones that do nine inch one inch two inch you know the combat gauges and all mm-hmm. of that and like you said the objectives that have the whole radius of what the interaction zone is and all of that and it is kind of odd that they don't capitalize on all these things they clearly see other companies making money off and they're clear popular like you said the itc uses them all the time and yet it's kind of odd that they don't i don't know maybe they think it's not worth their time they're so busy trying to keep up with their own production schedule that maybe it's not worth it to them or i don't know but it does seem and there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of games that do do player style kits you know like hero clicks they've got those fast forces boxes and it comes with the basic rules it comes with a map it comes with some figures it, it shows you how to play and it's got tokens and you know stuff like that you can also buy starter sets for magic magic the gathering mm-hmm. that yeah does you know like it's got a life counter and it's got a bunch of ancillary stuff that isn't technically needed but it's really helpful for the game so um, i think you're 100% on that i just don't really know why they don't do it but yeah it is kind of odd especially since um don't they sell like little objective uh they're not objective markers but they're like little objective like plastic kits that have um you know i think they came out with like a necron one with like you know a little tesseract uh, you know what i'm talking about yeah i think it was for kill teams i think oh is that what it's for okay okay i mean those are like okay but i don't know just just make the little mats dude people know they work <laughs> i don't know you know <laughs> yeah 
And uh, yeah, I'm also surprised they don't go into the battle mat industry either, for that matter. You know, that's another thing. They already sell terrain, but they don't really sell mats. I know they came out with, and this is another thing that, um, I don't know if you know or not, but Games Workshop did come out with some battle mats a couple years ago. Did you ever see them? No, I saw the, uh, what is it, like the Dominion ones or whatever I think it was called, like the the plastic, like um, big square tiles that you put together to make like your, you know, you know, you, you know what I'm talking oh. about? Yeah, yeah, the um, uh, battle board or something. You mean like yeah. 10 years ago they made them? Yeah, yeah, those are pretty cool, but I didn't yeah. know they made mats. Well, they they came out and it was such like a half-hearted attempt, and I don't know why they did that, but mm-hmm. they were not the neoprene like game mat dotty mouse pad material. They were like a cloth. So if you know, you definitely could get a folded crease in it because it was like a, a heavy cloth, and the mouse pad material never really creases because it's pretty stiff. And um, they only made one size. And it was like, I think four by four, it wasn't four by six or anything like that. And it was, uh, the only ones I ever saw is they made one or two of them for age of Sigmar. And then that was years ago. And I don't think they've ever sold them again. So I'm like, a, why did you not meet the industry standard, which is the neoprene mouse pad material and B like you didn't even make it a full board size. You made it a four by four. I'm like, what, I don't know. It just seemed half-hearted to me. Yeah, that's so weird, especially considering, you know, like you're saying, like the um, like their entire company is dedicated to just making mats. Like that, that's that's yeah. a thing. Like that's a whole industry. If people are just making mats, why aren't they selling that? And what, also, no what do idea. Games Workshop people even play on? A third-party uh, mats or like <laughs> what do they do? If I go to I a guess. Warhammer tournament, what am I, what am I going to be playing on? <laughs> that is funny actually yeah i guess they rely on on third-party mats i didn't think about that that's odd that's funny so what was number five so uh okay so into number five uh i'd like to see balancing uh be done more regularly especially if you know as the game transitions more into you know a, i think a competitive um you know a competitive game especially with like what is that like the the partnership or merging of, of with them uh, and the ITC seems like they're really trying to take a serious stab at um, you know making it competitive and if they're gonna do that I feel like they should balance the game more regularly um, and then again through incremental point changes so smaller ones not these like huge overhauls um, where you know they can kind of feel the range out a little bit better and see where, um, you know, things aren't doing so well. And, you know, I guess more, more incremental changes, especially with that. I mean, they have so many stats uh, these days. You know, you can go into like, you know, ITC, you know, their website and there's like, you know, 40K stats and, you know, all these other websites. And uh, there's just so much information now, especially since um, even since I started that they're really I mean, I don't want to be like talking smack on GW or whatever, but I think at this point, <laughs> you know, like you have all the necessary components they have the data they have the means to do it you know they can change points or whatever they've they've found a good format that people are listening to and taking advantage of you know people um know about the faqs they know about the uh the data slate um changes so mm-hmm. um yeah so why, why not just go full full bore you know like get into the competitive scene and um you know start releasing these uh balances more regularly now, what is the frequency? Because like I've stated before, I don't really don't follow it. Um, 
I think they were trying to do a yearly or was it twice per year actual balance change? How often do they come out? Um, let's see here. So I think they had um, what's what's the the points update that they do? I think that's yearly. Um, no, but I believe it? that they wanted to change it to uh, to buy, to buy yearly, so every six months, I suppose. But oh, that yeah, they said something about um like campaigns, and it would change the game every six months. Isn't that what they announced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I believe that's I believe that's correct. So maybe they are moving in that direction. Maybe that is what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I mean that's I mean this is the wish list for tenth, and it sounds like they're on board. Um, mm-hmm. and I wish that they'd go through with it and do it you know so i guess we'll see <laughs> if they'll actually commit to it yeah yeah um so number six is a big deal uh this this other idea that you had yeah so uh digital format for rules and codexes um i mean if they're going to make change uh or you know rules balances um and uh points adjustments i prefer them to make it you know just incorporated within the uh, the digital format. If I go online or whatever, if I purchase from their their library, you know the Necron Codex, um, and an FAQ comes out or some kind of uh, you know rules change in any any way, shape, or form, I'd kind of like it to be reflected on you know my uh, my PDF or whatever the heck it is. You know, like notify me. I don't care how it works, but like have me go up and re-download the newest version or just like have it viewable on the web through you know like a an app or a program or you know what i mean like something like something to that uh, that ilk yeah they have a horrible track record with apps and list builders they've got um i actually saw we used to our second store that we ever played at they had a bunch of they had not had warhammer players there for forever so all their stock they had was like from third edition it was like really old and they actually for sale they still on the shelf had a uh, a uh, cd-rom of warhammer 40k list builder and i forgot i think it was third edition and i was like oh my gosh they had a list builder all the way back then and they still can't figure out how to make a list builder now like yeah, it's, that's it's crazy and uh, I don't subscribe to the Age of Sigmar list building app, but I have friends that do. And they do frequently uh, complain that there's either things not updated or things missing or whole features that kind of don't work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? It, this just reminds me of those gaming mats all over again. Don't do it halfway. If you're going to do it, then do it. Actually put money and effort towards it. Partner with some app company or something where it's going to work, it's going to stay updated, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, it's it's odd to me, sometimes they do these like half-hearted attempts with things, but I'm not even a digital person, I despise reading a book on PDF or Kindle, I despise it, but honestly, if they were to offer this, and it was a list builder, and you could buy your codex dig- digitally and all of that, um, which of course, that's just pure money, because of course, there's no production costs as far as like manufacturing a physical book and um you know if they're going to do that then and they would actually keep it updated then even me as someone that does not like digital products sure dude i'm just gonna i'm just gonna buy my book on there and i'll just bring an ipad with me to to the gaming club because that would be so much easier um and then if they did a list builder with that, it wasn't just your codex thing, but it was also the list builder. That'd be awesome. Like you get little, you know, like a little flag or something. If a, 
on the data sheet if it's been updated like oh guess what you know this mm -hmm. is just recently updated or this paragraph has changed or whatever it would be amazing so yeah absolutely i mean even if it's you know you have you i can just imagine you know you have the you know your newest version of the codex um you redownload it or however you want to do it, you you view it online and then things that have changed are like you know instead of in white text they're in blue text or something mm -hmm. like that you know like that would be that'd be awesome i so i'm in um i guess how, how would i explain it it's in like a military um uh, document or procedural writing, you know, and we have like red lines and things like that to show the different changes between revisions of, of uh. documents, you know, and if they had something like that, I mean, I not necessarily want to go well, full bore with like showing the changes, but like, yeah, just something simple where it shows like, Hey, these, these, this blue text is, is changed. Uh, you know, please review it or whatever. And that makes, uh, I think that make the game a lot simpler. Yeah, I agree. And then the, then that would give them the whole platform to do all the things that you're already suggesting, where if they're going to FAQ something, maybe there's a spelling mistake or maybe it was like super not clear, then they can just change it on there. And then if they want to edit the um, the points, they just change it on there and it's it's way easier. Um, something that's similar to this, I'm going to add one idea to this that me and uh, my friend Just James have talked about before is, you know, they they sell these codexes for like 40 bucks and they're super thick and they're full of lore and they're full of images of models and all this stuff. But I mean, a lot of people like me, I don't really read much into the lore. Like I know the basic gist for all the armies and I don't really look any deeper than that. So it's kind of a shame. I wonder if it would actually work out better for them if they could make the rules cheaper, if they cut out all of that, uh, that fluff that narrative stuff and they sell a version that includes all of that like hey here's the full codex you know with all the backstory and the fluff and the heraldry and all that or you could simply just buy the rules and then it may be feasible for them to actually print out a new codex for you of just the rules the updated rules every six months or year or whatever the the time frame would be but then you wouldn't have to be printing out stuff or writing in your codex or sticky noting it or whatever so yeah absolutely i think i'd be um i'd definitely be one of those people who just buys the rules version of it you know i think out of you know uh, probably three different edition or not three different editions three different codexes versions for the you know three or four armies that i have um i've read like the the, the lore portions of it like for my Eldar Codex, the first time I bought it, and I was like, oh, that's neat, and then never did it again. <laughs> and then every other every other Codex, I just like, well, flip to the back, <laughs> to the good stuff, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, absolutely. And, and also, um, the sheer volume of text there is in that book. I mean, the they have to pay people, presumably, unless they're doing something illegal. They got to pay, pay <laughs> someone to write all of this fluff. And every new codex, it is new fluff. Now, it might be like the same battle or whatever they're covering, but it is it is not copy and pasted from the previous codex. So just that amount of effort they put into every single codex, they I feel they could save themselves a lot of trouble and just make that a special edition or something of that nature. And then they could charge a lot more for it anyway. God knows people, like you said, this is not a cheap hobby to begin with. So if people are willing to pay that extra money for the cool new cover or the whatever for special edition stuff so and meanwhile y you and i could just have our new rules and and not really be worried about it or someone like me and james where we have a bunch of different armies 
I mean, it gets super, super expensive to be buying 40 or $50 books at a pop basically every month. Like it's nuts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess in that same kind of um, uh, mindset, you know, if they, like, I'd almost rather play, pay, you know, because I'm the same as you. I've got several different, um, you know, armies or whatever. If I could just pay like a, a subscription to have a digital mm-hmm. format of all the codexes, that's just the rules. Like, you know, again, people are paying, you're paying people to do all this extra fluff stuff, which is fine. Um, but I, it, you know, that it doesn't, it's not really that applicable to me, whereas I just play the game mostly. Um, and I, I mean, if, if they were like, Hey, it's, you know, 10 or 10 bucks or 15 bucks a month or something like that for, you know, each month, um, and you get every single rule and yet every single update and it's automatically incorporated. I, I, I can't think of a single player that I've played with that wouldn't do that. Like everybody <laughs> plays one or two armies and, and it, it turns out that that's like the same cost as just buying three books, except that the, the players actually get what they want and what they're using, you know? Yep. Yeah, I think I definitely think that's hopefully the way they're going to go, but I just don't. And actually, wasn't there something to do with the code? They had a digital and you can correct me about this because I'm not 100 percent certain, um, but they had digital codes to download digital versions of their codex in the cover slip of each codex. And then something to the effect of I think they took those out, didn't they? So I think they're. I think they're still in there, but I don't think that they do the digital version of the codex anymore. I think that all that does is, I'm sure somebody can correct me, you know, uh, in an email or whatever, but um, I think that it's just for their list building app, the 40K list building app that they have now. So once you add in that code, I think it just gives you access to build, um, you know, with that codex, which is, uh, honestly, that's kind of meh, especially considering that their their new um, list building app is... I mean, it's kind of hot garbage, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of complaints. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not great, but um, yeah. So number seven is probably something that a lot of people are going to agree with you on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's hope for a release schedule that is not strewn across uh, three years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, considering all the changes and production issues they've had with COVID, um, Uh, Right now, we're approaching two years of ninth edition in July, and we're still missing 11 books. That's uh, crazy. Which is it's insane to me, man. I I cannot believe that it's it's been that long, and we're not even we're not even done yet. You know, chaos players over here on the the fringe are like, (laughs) like, I don't know, man. I'd be so frustrated if that was my sole army. Like I, oh yeah. Um, you know, and and the the release schedule of eighth was a lot. you know, it was a lot shorter, but also I think the big difference there is, um, you know, even if you were somebody who received your codex late in the game in 8th edition, um, you still had uh, all the balanced data sheets that everybody received at the same time in the index form at the very beginning. So, I mean, to some extent, they did they did have an update at the same time, roughly, as other players. I, I, I guess it just didn't... Uh, feel as bad as it currently does right now where the transition from 8th edition to 9th edition especially with the uh, you know the rules bloat and the the power creep and all that um, it seems a lot more stark in uh, in contrast comparatively to previous editions yeah 8th edition was more or less to my knowledge the only time they ever released all of the rules for all the codexes at the same time and um 
if you think about that, that's basically what they they did exactly what we just mentioned about cutting all the lore out. They just gave you the rules and they're like, here, here's all the rules. And I feel like and this may not be true, but I feel like if they put them all out at the same time, even maybe if they didn't have rules and then later on, you could buy the special edition one full of lore or whatever. Um then they could at least throw them all out there at the same time. And hopefully there'd be a better chance of them all being balanced together as a big group, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, pretty quickly on in, um, in ninth, even, you know, they, I just one example, um, you know, you've got like the doomsday arc with like the D six shots, D six damage or whatever. And then like the first couple of uh, codexes came out in ninth and they're just like, you know, what's really cool is like standard, uh, consistent damage and they started making things with you know minimum this or mm-hmm. three plus d3 and like that's i think if they had released all of these at the same time very quickly on if they had one codex uh comparatively to another that had that type of rule i think that that type of feedback would have been instrumental in you know in applying that change uh across you know across all the future codexes so we wouldn't have this like strange disparity of of you know weapon profiles and um and rulings that we have now which it feels kind of awkward and uh not i mean like not a huge feels bad for like necron players and you know space Marine codexes because you know whatever but um it is it is strange and and it does make um the 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 rules blow and the especially the power creep a lot um more defined it's a lot easier to see where you know i think i you know if they had if they had released all of them at the same time they would have gotten that feedback yeah i agree with you i i do have my suspicions though that you know anybody could see that if you slowly drip them out one codex at a time then people get super excited and they buy those models and that's the new hotness for a month until the next codex and then everyone gets excited for that and maybe they sell their old army and they get excited for that (laughs) and they you know so from a business standpoint, that might be what they're doing. And it's kind of like people aren't just, well, I'm talking about war gamers here and maybe that's not true, but people don't just hand you money for no reason. You have to like give them a reason. You have to like prime the pump. You gotta, you gotta yeah. keep, you know, keeping the, the crowd engaged. And if they release that, like if every couple years they did a new edition and all the books came out at the same time, then maybe that would have a worse impact because then people would pick their favorite army and not whatever the new hotness is. And then you wouldn't have the same people that like the meta chasers that buy this army, then that army, then that army, you know, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if like how they would even obtain such a statistic or whatever, but um, I'm curious to see, like would be curious to see how, how many people, um, I guess like how that influxes their their sales, you know, like if if they have a new NIDS codex come out or like you know it's on the approach or whatever. I mean, do they sell? Do they usually sell out of like of entire kits and models and things like that? Well, you know that's funny that you say that because I haven't aired it yet. Because um, remember I, I recorded with Alan Merritt for three hours. Oh uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> I've been breaking it up into like twenty or thirty minute segments on, per topic, and one of the things he talks about is the way sales go after a new book or new models are released. So I won't go into that now, but it is actually pretty darn interesting. And um, they they do have it down to a certain amount of science as far as how much how much of the like, you know, if if a model or a codex is it has a lifespan, let's say 10, 10 years between the original making of the model and then when you remake it 
or it's obsolete or whatever in the 10 years he he they have a formula for how much of the total percentage they're going to sell within the first six months of the first year and then how much it drops and then you might sell you know a much smaller percentage over the next eight years or whatever like it's so hmm. uh, like i said i don't have i don't know the the numbers right off the top of my head but it was actually really fascinating and he will actually clear that up when i i finally air that part part yeah so. for sure yeah i'm curious to uh to listen to that when i, I listened to the I think the second part of it, um, that's like, is that the Lord of the Rings yeah. uh, interview? Yeah, it's, it's super good so far, but yeah, curious to, to listen to that part. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I he's been a, a pleasure to, to interview. He's been super nice. Um, and he was with them for like 30 some years. So, yeah, he, yeah. Um, but anyway, number uh, number eight, you want to rework leadership. Yeah, reworking leadership. So. Uh, I think actually the transition from eighth to ninth was pretty positive, um, in my opinion. Like I, I like the the new system. Uh, it's still not exactly where I think it should be or I'd like it to be. Um, it seems like a fairly lackluster um, stat. Like it's added complexity for like little return on enjoyment, in my opinion, or like strategic value. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with so many. Uh, armies in the game just completely negate it you know um it gets super frustrating like why why do like i know i mean i'm not sure i guess i'm assuming that certain units when they have something that has a you know a negative to you know enemy enemy morale and a specific uh you know zone around them and aura um it's probably baked into their points cost or their uh you know their balance in some way shape or form but it has so little value um that's like okay well I'd almost, I'd rather have, you know, plus one attack or whatever it is mm-hmm. instead. Um, and I think I'd, I'd like to see something where, you know, you have um, leadership centric, uh, I guess, strategies where, you know, Dark Eldar have, have a lot of different, you know, stratagems and specific weapons and units that have, you know, negative impact to enemy morale, but they don't really do anything because most of the armies just negate it or, it's just, I guess it's too little to make a, a strategic difference. People don't build around it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, imagine if, like, um, you know, your Space Marine or your normal troop had something around, you know, a three to five leadership, um, you know, and your your buffing characters around them had something like six to seven instead. But now those impacts that are, you know, minus two or, um, you know, minus three to their leadership make a huge difference now you're just killing a singular marine and because they're in that aura or that you know area of effect now suddenly they're they're rolling leadership and they're um you know taking casualties in that way um so something like that would be really cool and thematic i think um and i think it would increase build diversity in general you know you'd have some of these uh i guess characters like um i don't know, like the ethereal for example who uh buffs the leadership in an aura it give them a whole new um value that they currently don't have like nobody brings an ethereal so they can uh buff up morale i mean at least i don't the other powers are cooler but you know that that would be something that would um i think add to the game in um, a pretty beneficial way yeah i this is another one of those ideas that you had that i'm i'm super excited for because I actually didn't mind the way 8th edition leadership worked, and it's the same way as Age of Sigmar leadership works. And I really, 
liked that because it was it did actually have an effect sometimes if you were lowering their leadership and then however by however much you went over your leadership just that many people left like it could be devastating but at least it was decisive and it did have some sort of impact now it didn't have a ton of impact but it was way more than ninth edition leadership now i find myself like a an old knee jerk reaction i go oh crap i got to take a leadership check and then i take it and i'm like oh yeah i lost one dude i completely forgot about that you know i might lose another <laughs> one or two but yeah it's it's not as devastating and um back in prior to 8th edition i don't know if you remember or not but morale and stuff was was really nuts like it was very all or nothing so like mm-hmm. if if you beat us in close combat we had to take a morale check and if we fail that we were going to flee and you and I would both roll a d6 plus our initiative, because back then they had an initiative stat. And if you caught us, we were just wiped. Like, you killed the whole squad. <laughs> like That's crazy. It could have been 30 dudes, and you, you had... And there, <laughs> it did sometimes come up to, like, some really weird things. Like, one corn berserker, like, just wiped 30, 30 guardsmen or something. Like it, yeah. But at least it was decisive. Maybe a slightly too drastic but it did have an effect yeah for sure and i think um that's that's actually a pretty cool example i'd love to be that corn berserker player right there but (laughs) um yeah i mean some some of the the leadership stuff just doesn't make sense to you know and it'd be nice if they could address some of that like you know the admech robots i can't remember the name of them are called but they you know they have some dude who walks up and like throws a disc in their back and like tells them to shoot or whatever or like drones Mm -hmm. for tau like um, why do they have morale? Like, why? I mean, maybe you give them a leadership characteristic, but like, why? It doesn't even make sense. There's no thematic uh, reason for them to ever flee in any way, shape, or form. You know, and mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Necrons to that kind of, you know, I think their their ten leadership is probably appropriate. Um, you know, in a post leadership rework kind of world, but um, yeah, some of it just feels kind of odd. I guess it just it doesn't feel thematic. Uh, and it also doesn't really work mechanically either. Like you're saying, like most of the time uh, I fail rework or what they call it, fail leadership. It's like, oh, I lost a dude. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Yep. Move on, you know. And like half the time, I just for, like when I, you know, when I'm playing like quick um, like practice games or whatever, like half the time we just forget about it. Like it just has so little impact on the game. <laughs> like it doesn't even feel like it's, uh, you know, it's anything. And. Uh... Like those poor Night Lords players, the ones that give the minus one leadership within six inches and you can do up to minus three leadership. And I'm like, big whoop, especially in ninth edition. Like it's it truly it has taken the fangs out of that completely when, to be honest, in eighth edition, they already were not great. The minus three leadership only sometimes. I mean, you got to force them to take a leadership check. So you got to be doing some damage. And then you'd have to have three different units within six inches of them to give them the full minus three. I mean, it was already hard to do. Yeah. But but now it's like, man, I don't see any Night Lords players at all. Yeah, it's, it turns out if you're surrounded by three different units um, and you have to do damage to that unit in order to like force morale. They're probably dead anyway. Yeah. So thanks for the useless, uh, you know, rule, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, so it's um, yeah, it is kind of that does suck. But I'm I'm truly intrigued by the, by the idea that you gave up that, um, you know, a lot of troops or regular units would have like a leadership of like three to five. And then the, it was the leadership, which you just described. It's the leadership characters 
being nearby that improve their leadership. And you're right. That would be a completely different buff. And you'd use characters in such a unique way. I mean, they love to just make new Space Marine lieutenants. Well, this would be a, a actual reason for you to buy every single Space Marine lieutenant they make. Because, you know, having them babysit different units and maybe the aura it doesn't have to be six inches. Maybe it's 12 inches or something so that you don't, you're not physically babysitting them. But, uh, I do, I really do like that. And then any little bit of adjustment to, uh, negative adjustment to morale would be pretty impactful. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can just imagine, uh, that kind of, you know, gameplay now where people are afraid of, um, you know, the enemy bringing like, you know, morale, uh, you know, inflicting units and like mm-hmm. snipers, you know, where like what what a weird game that would be where you're like, you know, suddenly having to hide morale boosting characters in, in fear <laughs> of like losing leadership. I don't know. Like, it, I think it would just be such a cool change to the game and so thematic as well, you know, especially mm-hmm. in the grim dark. Uh, it's such a grim dark game and everybody loves to, you know, hype that up or whatever. But uh, there's there's no impact for, for for grim dark or leadership in the game itself. So. Yeah, there's no psychology involved at all, especially yeah. with 9th edition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what is number nine on your list? This is another big one for me. Yeah, so uh, I think that they should take another look at uh, tef- toughness and weapon rules in the game in general. Um, I think the the change for vehicles to be able to shoot in combat was uh, a huge positive. Um, those instances in eighth where you'd have like, you know, three drones pinning up a, uh, a tank in a corner. And then that's like, that's the end of it. Like, it's just kind of dumb. Um, but you know, I think that they should go maybe even a step further and, you know, maybe try to look at, um, diversifying the rules role, like R O L E of, uh, each different weapon in, um, class of unit in the game, you know, things like, um, blast, I think are really interesting, um, I think a positive change, uh, honestly, where, you know, it, you, you finally have something that that has a specific purpose and, you know, heavy weapons are great, but, you know, a heavy weapon can be used for anti-infantry, anti, anti uh, you know, um, like terminators and, um, you know, vehicles or whatever. But uh, I think something I was just thinking about this morning, um, you know, something like an opposite of blast, like, why don't they have something that's like specifically good for um you know killing vehicles or punching through those um you know those t8 things and you could argue like oh well they've got like last cannons and stuff like that but like the last cannons are also just as good against you know infantry as they are against a tank um but the, i guess the the worst offenders for me are things like uh like plasma guns you know like something that has like a, a strength eight minus three or four and like two damage it's just effective against everything and it doesn't really I feel like when I look at um, lists for, you know, for tournaments or whatever, I, I feel like it's a, um, a very weapon type centric meta mm-hmm. um, right now, especially where, you know, everybody's just bringing the same type of weapon. It all falls within, you know, one or two very small slivers of, um, I guess, feasibility um, because everything else is just, it's ineffective. And that's, I think, partially because of the way that toughness uh, works in the game, um, but also just because of the, maybe the points values of those specific weapons. But I mean, if they, if they did something like, um, 
I don't know, like, let's take the Plague Burst Crawler. I don't know if you've played against Death Guard this edition, but... Yes, I have. <laughs> dude, they, they, I don't know, man. That's uh, To me, that's the way that every tank should feel. Like, when, like when you're shooting that thing, you know, it's like 14 wounds, and I think it's T7 or T8, but that negative one damage, it really shows, especially oh, yeah. with uh, Invul. And I, I don't know, like, when I read the... Uh, not that I'm, like, super into the lore or anything like that, but when you read, like, the description of, um, like, your basic Rhino or whatever, and it's got, like you know, six inches of the same material that makes up like a, you know, a Terminator uh, armor, except it's like, you know, twice, twice as thick or whatever it is, you know, it's like, why, mm-hmm. why is this uh, Rhino not have minus one damage in a, a five up invul? Like why? It just seems a little odd. It seems out of place the, the way that they balance uh, defenses in the game. And I think something um, revolving around changing Probably the weapons and the ve- the way that vehicles and monsters, their durability, I think, would be uh, a vast improvement. Well, I think we're starting to see more and more invuls on stuff, um, or at least ways to give monsters and whatnot. Like the Crusher Stampede gave them all, what, a five-up invul, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're probably going to start seeing more and more, even if they're minor, even if they're a five-up invul, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that because all this damage is going out of control. Like the damage on these, you know, the rail guns and all of that. It's just, it's just nuts. A rail gun could easily one shot a Lehman Russ. Like it's, it's no problem. Yeah, so yeah. it better have some sort of damage reduction or some sort of invul or something. Otherwise mm-hmm. you got to give it like 40 wounds, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, we laugh because everything is now, you notice more and more things are more and more things have AP. And more and more things are damaged too now, where they never were damaged to before. And you're like, okay, so you give all the Marines an extra wound, and then you make everything damage too. Okay, so I guess for 10th edition, they're going to make everything damage three, and Marines are going to be three wounds now. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's it's kind of silly sometimes. But another thing that kind of bothers me is how often they just straight up ignore mechanics of the game. It kind of goes along with your whole morale thing, where it's not very effective, but with so much transhuman physiology in the game and so many ways that it's like I have basically every faction or every codex has some group in it. That's like, Oh yeah, you can't wound us on better than a four up or like Harlequins. You can't hit me on better than a four up or it might be a, yeah, I think it's a four up, but anyway, you get the point where we're, we're getting beyond modifiers and we're just straight up toughness and strength. No longer matter. You just can't, I don't care if your strength 100, uh, I just, you can't win me on better than a four up. And I don't really like that because it's, I mean, every unit in any game has its own things it does better than others. You know, there's exceptions and they bend the rules or whatever, but more and more now they just completely ignore entire mechanics of the game. And I don't know how good that is for the balance of the game and how fun it is. I, I feel like it gives players more feel bads when it's like, okay, I lined up the proper weapon against the proper target and I rolled really well and I'm hitting them and I, I've got a good chance of killing it or severely wounding it. And they're like, oh, by the way, you, you, I don't care what your strength is. <laughs> like just, just roll it. And, and that's going to, I don't know. I just find it's, yeah, it's not absolutely. Very, not very fun. <laughs> so. No, I, I totally agree. I think, um, Especially when I saw the, um, I mean, what is it like uh, the custodians? They've got like the, you know, you can't use rerolls against me kind of thing. Well, it's like a lot of armies. Um, that's like that's how they do their thing, you know. Like mm-hmm. guards got 
awful, you know, ballistic skill, but they've got rerolls. Tau's got awful ballistic skill, but they've got rerolls. And when you start taking away these like core mechanics that make these um, these armies viable, or like honestly, that's like the only thing that makes them work, um, and you completely negate it. Yeah, it, it, it's more of a feels bad than anything. Like it just it's it's, it's not fun to uh, go into a game just knowing that like half of your rule set is like completely negated. I mean, especially with like the uh, set like the negative one or negative two um, aura for the you know, the sisters of battle. I, I went up against him in a tournament uh, with my Tau um, like six or eight months ago or something. Or, and, um, you know, like a lot of Tau weaponry is like negative nothing, one or two. And then for their entire army or for like most of their army to have completely negated that, it just is, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a rough, it's a rough one, man. And I mean, I get like the rock, pa- rock paper, scissors, like feel the game, you know, but like do it in other ways, make it, you know, make something more susceptible to melee, make something more susceptible to to shooting. But when you completely um, ruin entire like classes or types of games or core mechanics, it, it does um, tend to, I mean, skew uh, balance, but also it, it, it tends to have uh, feels bad moments more than anything. And also there are some different factions or some different codexes that are a direct counter to others. And that always kind of feels bad. Like specifically, the classic one is Grey Knights versus Demons. There's so many things that Grey Knights <laughs> get against poor Demons, and Demons yeah. get practically nothing against Grey Knights. It's like, oh geez, like it's it's pretty bad. But um, I don't. I'm not gonna remember what it was, but just recently I was playing a game with James, and whatever his ability was, my ability was to ignore that ability. And I cannot recall like what factions or what we were playing because this was probably a month or two ago. But I remember him going, oh, this is my ability. And I'm like, oh, cool. Well, guess what? I just completely ignore that ability. And that, and like you said, it's kind of like a, oh, OK, I'm glad I showed up then because it's. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the last one on here, number 10 for uh, improving 10th edition. And this one I have n- has never occurred to me ever but it makes perfect sense as much of a fan of Highlander and things that I am um, of just taking like a single of each unit instead of masses. This is an awesome idea. So what was your idea for this? Yeah. So uh, the idea is to have tiered points costs for uh, units. So um, those who are familiar with the new Tau codex, um, you know, are aware that the, you know, if I take a crisis suit and I give it, um, one burst cannon, it's like five points. So if I give it two, the next one is worth 10. So it's 15 points total in weapons. And then like the third one is like 15 points or something. So now I'm looking at, you know, 30 points for three weapons instead. Um, and I and I think uh, a lot of the, the balancing issues in, I mean, in any edition really, um, have to do with like spamming units. Like they completely changed the way aircrafts work because of that. Um, where if they had had a tiered uh, points cost to some of these units, um, it would incentivize people playing a more balanced um, army composition. So you wouldn't see things like, you know, nine star weavers or whatever the heck those things are called. You mm-hmm. know, if especially if you know the first one costs 100 points per model, and then the second unit they cost like 130 per model, and then the third one they were like. 160 or something like that. Well, like now you're like really making a choice. Like 
is it even really effective for me to bring this unit? And um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think overall you'd have way more thematic armies. Think you know where you've got your different divisions of and and roles that, that um, you know people are taking things for. So. Uh, I know it, it, it does make things more complicated in the uh, the I guess the the list building portion of it, but I mean honestly, I'd much rather spend five more minutes before the game starts trying to figure out that that the list or whatever mm-hmm. than you know adding complication to the game inside of the game. Like let people do that at home or you know theorycraft or whatever. But um, I think that that'd be a huge change. Um, but it'd be a really good one. Also, uh, like what you just said, with if it's 100 points, then 130, then 160, some people might gasp at that. But honestly, I doubt it would even be that much of a point increase per per tier because do you know how often, like anytime I've ever heard or discussed something competitively or whatever with listen to someone talking competitively, they're like, geez, I like these two units, but this one unit is about four points more and it just has a slightly better punch or whatever. And to the when you get into the competitive nature of things, I mean, you are talking a few points here or there makes the difference on whether or not you take this unit or you don't. And it's all about efficient points efficiency, you know? And even if it was a, I don't know, 10% difference between each second, third one you took, it would it still would probably deter depending on how good the unit was clearly it would still deter people into going oh man it's not an auto take now i don't just automatically take three is it really worth it to take three or should i take something else at a cheaper cost and uh like you said i that's why i love the highlander so much and that's why we run it at my convention is because you can't take more than one of any data sheet so you it forces you to there's no such thing as spam because you you can't do that and this would definitely deter it. But like you said, you can spam if you want, but you're going to pay a, a sort of tax for it. So I just when you sent me this list, I was like, wow, number 10 is my very favorite one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now that I'm thinking about it, too. Yeah. When you're looking at like your, uh, you know, like, let's say it's like a Marine, um, you know, they're like 20 points or something, you know, 20 points for the first 22 for the second 24 or 25 for the third. Um, or, you know, your Terminator at 30 to 33 to 36, like a 36 point Terminator comparatively to a 30 point Terminator. If you're competitive, you know that that's a mm-hmm. huge difference, you know, um, like whole units have been made or broken by uh, just a couple points uh, changes um, and it completely shifts their viability in the meta. So, yeah, I mean, I think keeping it simple like that, like, hey, there's a 10 percent tax, um, you know, from that base cost for your next two um uh, units or whatever that that'd be huge also it would be huge because let's just say if it was a 10 percent tax per different separate unit that you took then you wouldn't see all those uh min maxing like i take uh six of the same unit or three of the same unit but they're all minimum sized so i i've got more board coverage i've got you know um it's harder to kill because obviously the wounds don't spill over from one unit to another and and things like that so you would have to think about that. Like, well, it's cheaper. I could bring two sets of five Terminators and it's going to be more expensive than if I, I guess the total would be 5% more expensive total um, because half of them would be 10% more expensive. But right. um, 
that would actually be more expensive than if I just took a unit of 10 Terminators. So it's like, I, I, I think you're right. I think you're really onto something there. And I hope they listen to this. And I always have my suspicions that maybe they do listen to the show because sometimes it could just be <laughs> happenstance. <laughs> but, yeah. But they have changed things in the past after we've discussed it. So who knows? Yeah, that'd but, be great. But that one was that was really the ringer for me. I really, really like that idea. And um, if if it weren't so darn cumbersome, I would like to run a tournament like that. But of course, you would need like a list building app or whatever to make it easier for people. But uh, and yeah. and everyone I know uses a list building app anyway. So usually Battlescribe, and um, it's I mean if Battlescribe already has these tiered weapons for the towel, like you said, well then it would be no different than making tiered points cost for the people too i don't i can't imagine that being too much harder to do yeah that's true i, I mean i guess um do you i, I don't really know your, your history with other types of games have you played magic the gathering or mm-hmm. magic yeah so i mean there's tons of different formats for it you know like popper and um, commander and all that other stuff like somebody uh come up with a, a tiered version of the 40k points rules man i'd love I'd, I'd do the same thing i'd love to play a tournament that has something like that and um, you know, you know, what if the format of the, the the tournament was, hey, this one's tiered or this one's not tiered or or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, 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 if they already have the capabilities within that app, I can't see why it wouldn't be, you know, significantly more difficult to, um, you know, to add that to the units. I mean, it's, it's time, but they have the capability. Yeah. And and the more digitally they go with stuff, the the easier it makes all of this. From editing points to changing rules to list building to all of that, you really do have a lot more options when you're not pencil and paper in it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andrew, I greatly do appreciate you being on. 